0: Happy December, my friend. It really is the most wonderful time of the year, and I'm feeling so excited for this month, as well as for a new year and fresh beginnings in 2020. I feel like I have a million announcements before we head into today's episode, but they're all important, so stay with me. First of all, I wanted to let you know that this will be our last episode for 2019. I'm going to be taking the rest of the month of December off from airing episodes on 3 and 30 so that I can focus on my family and my faith this holiday season and take care of my health, which, as you heard in last week's episode, has been a bit of a roller coaster lately. I have a lot, a lot of exciting plans for 3 and 30 as we head into 2020. And I need a bit of time and space to prepare in a way that will make it more possible for me to care for my health and my family while also caring for this community, which I love so much. I have to be honest that it's a little scary for me to take a step back from the podcast for a month and not air anything, not even encore episodes. Uh, Because the podcasting experts say never to do that, (laughs) or your community will forget about your show, it will get lost within their podcast app, and your podcast will lose all the momentum that you've worked hard to gain. And I weighed the possibility that this might happen as I was making this decision of whether or not to take the month off. And I ultimately concluded that taking this break is what is best for me, my family, and 3 and 30. And I know I don't need to give you a big disclaimer about all of this, um, but I decided that I did want to tell you the background on this decision because I want to give you permission to follow your gut and your heart when they tell you to slow down and make space. Even if some expert somewhere or your own fear or anyone else in your life is telling you that all will be lost if you slow down and take a pause. In the last few years, I've really tried to stop living from a fear of scarcity and to start living from an assumption of abundance in my life. And I made my decision from that place. So, I will be back on the very first Monday in January, and I have faith that everything is going to be just fine with this community. In fact, I believe it will be better than fine. I'm so excited for what's in store for 3 and 30 in 2020. And so, when the first Monday of the new year rolls around, let that be a little reminder for you that there'll be a new episode of 3 and 30, and come on back and listen. (laughs) And in the meantime, if you need to catch up on old episodes, now is your chance. So dig into those archives. Now for our second announcement. Don't forget about this month's sponsor, which is Shine Cosmetics. I am so grateful for this company, which was founded by mothers and is run by mothers who are on a mission to be a positive voice in the beauty industry and remove sexualization from beauty products. I truly love their makeup. I use it every day. And my favorite product of theirs is the Beauty Balm, which is a super light foundation with SPF 15. I also love their blush, bronzer, and lip colors. In fact, I did my first ever makeup tutorial this week on Instagram, (laughs) where I showed myself putting on their products and it was super awkward, but I've heard it was helpful to moms like me who have to keep their beauty routines really easy and quick. So if you're interested in seeing that tutorial and checking out the products from Shine, go to three and thirty podcast forward slash Shine. These would be great stocking stuffers and gifts for friends or teachers. And you can use the code 3 and 30 for 10% off. And now on to the show. This episode is unlike anything I've aired on 3 and 30 before, and I think it's such an important discussion. I do want to say up front that I recognize that this topic is very nuanced, it's complex, and the guest and I couldn't possibly say everything that there is to say about it in a 30-minute episode. In fact, the original interview was over an hour, so I had to edit it down dramatically. But hopefully this will give you some food for thought as you figure out your unique stance on the best ways to reach out to the most vulnerable people in your community. This is episode 110, How to Compassionately Respond to Homelessness. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. During the holiday season, many of us feel the desire to look beyond ourselves and do some good in the world. Tis the season for toy and food drives, singing carols at nursing homes, and volunteering at the local soup kitchen. I love this time of year when the whole world seems to be more focused on reaching out to our neighbors... And I would also love it if we all, myself included, continued with that desire to make a difference in our communities well into the new year. And that's why I'm so excited for today's episode, which I hope will make it feel much more possible for us to reach out to a group of people who need the support and assistance of their communities, not just at the holidays, but all year long. And that group is individuals who are experiencing homelessness. In every city in the United States, we see these men and women on street corners with cardboard signs or huddled up in blankets or in big coats on sidewalks and in parks. And the best, most human parts of us feel pulled to do something to help. While sometimes at the same time, we can feel nervous, afraid or even a little defensive thinking, I don't know what the right thing to do to help here is. And since we don't know what to do, we often just walk away and. And that doesn't feel right either. Today on the podcast, I'm so honored to have my lifelong friend, Meg Martin, with us. Meg is a certified peer counselor and social worker who is a founding member and the executive director of Interfaith Works Homeless Services in Olympia, Washington. After recovering from her own battles with mental illness and addiction, she felt compelled to help those who often struggle with the same issues she had, but who don't have the family and financial support to get the services that they need to get well. She was instrumental in the creation of the first trauma-informed, low-barrier homeless shelter in her town. And in the five years since its creation, the program has grown from 12 staff members to 40 staff members and now provides services nearly 24-7 between three programs in her city. After over 10 years working with individuals who are experiencing homelessness, Meg is going to have incredible insight for us on how we as women and mothers can do small but impactful things to reach out to the most vulnerable people in our communities, not just during the holidays, but all year long. So Meg, welcome to 3 and 30.
1: Thank you. I'm so happy to be here.
0: And by way of background, for those who are listening, Meg and I became best friends in about third grade, and she knows my family better than almost anyone. Meg, I'm just so unbelievably proud of who you've become and the work you're doing in Olympia. And I can't wait for you to teach me and to teach everyone listening because this topic is really outside the realm of most of our daily experiences as mothers, but we want to help. And so thank you for coming on to give us a peek into this world and helping us to learn what we can do.
1: Thank you so much for having me, like I said. And um, I just think that it's so important to ask the question and to, you know, be, Upfront with ourselves about what feels uncomfortable about bearing witness to such human suffering mm. um, on our streets and in wooded areas, and and it, and it should feel uncomfortable. It should feel extremely uncomfortable to have to see um, that level of poverty in the wealthiest country in the world. Um, mm. It's totally normal to feel nervous to not know what to do be influenced by many of the messages that we hear that are that are typically um not entirely accurate about what people are up against and what brought them to where they are and I just think it's really amazing um, that you asked me to be here and to have this conversation. So mm.
0: well, thank you. And in your bio, it says she and the homeless services staff team know that all people are valuable, deserve love, respect, connection and a community who believes in them. And I love that that's the mission that everything at the shelter does for the guests who come and stay there.
1: Yeah. So our, our mission statement for our homeless services um, starts with advancing the social inclusion and empowerment of our neighbors experiencing homelessness.
0: Mm-hmm. And what
1: that means to me is that um, you know it, experiencing homelessness is such a psychologically confusing situation um, as it's been described to me that, It's extremely isolating and oftentimes people are – they might feel like while their entire life is on display for the public, it's almost as if they're in a glass box like in a museum or something where um, every single thing that they do in their life is in the public. They Mm. carry all their belongings on their back. I I imagine what it would look like for me if the roof was pulled off of my house and everyone had to see that (laughs) – Like
0: there's no closed doors. Yeah, there's there's no
1: closed doors. I mean, we we have one 24-hour restroom, public restroom in our entire city of, you know, 60,000 people. And Mm -hmm. so it's like literally everything is on display for everyone at all times. Yet, people walk by you every day like you don't exist.
0: And I love the emphasis that you have on people first, like you've told you know I asked what what's the best way do I say homeless people do it and you said people first language like they're people experiencing homelessness
1: yeah absolutely
0: well I would love for you to give us um, three takeaways today for what we can do when we see people who are experiencing homelessness and we feel that pull in our heart to help or we're not sure how to go about doing that
1: Great well I will start with my first one, which is learn about the reasons why people end up experiencing homelessness. So often when I'm working with different community members or community groups, um, this is a question that comes up all the time like why though how did people end up here what did they what did they do that got them in this in this place and this takeaway is really, to me, the most important one, even though it might feel um, kind of less of an action-oriented thing, I want mm. everybody to know that learning about the reasons why and understanding the full picture of what you might be witnessing on the street um, is the most important thing that you can do to know what is the best way to get involved for yourself, for your family, for your community, and. What we know is that the primary reasons that people end up experiencing homelessness, by and far, are economic. They yeah. are related to the price of housing, not only um, purchasing housing, but rental prices primarily. It is about the price of healthcare mm. and the price of childcare. Those are the three main. Economic reasons why people end up on the streets. Um, A huge medical bill that they have no savings for that ends up going into collections, that ends up getting um, debt collected on. Um, Multiple studies have now shown nationwide that for every $100 average increase in a rental, it coincides with over 30% increase of homelessness. In wow. non metropolitan areas, so that's kind of like mine, like smaller towns or more or more rural areas. And in metropolitan areas, um, it's fifteen percent. So it's a little bit less than that, but that's usually because there's more housing options. Mm. But it's significant. Mm. And if I know where I live, and I, that we've seen average rents raised signif- way more than hundred dollars. Um, over the last three years, or it's been $100 multiple times throughout a year. So for people particularly who are permanently disabled or who are um, elders in our community who might be on a fixed income, social security, disability income, um, $100 can be the thing that puts them out on the street. And for disability income, do you know how much – it is for folks every month that they get when they're when they've been determined to be permanently disabled and never able to work again.
0: I have no idea how much is it.
1: Seven hundred and forty-four dollars a month, typically. Mm-hmm. And so, imagine what a hundred dollars increase in that could do.
0: Yes. Wow. And one thing I know we've talked about in our conversations is that you said we often we want to believe that homelessness is an individual's problem like you said like what did they do to end up here Um, and instead we need to think more of it as a societal problem that they're just not good enough access to these basic things that human beings need to survive and that we can help to address that as a society it's not just what did they do? I think we want to believe that because we want to believe it could never happen to us. It could never happen to our loved ones. It must be something that they did to end up there.
1: Yes, exactly. And I think we spend a lot of energy doing that because those larger structural changes can feel kind of overwhelming or sort of abstract to most people. And so People were humans. We like um, instant gratification and we want to know what we're looking at and whose fault it is. And it becomes Mm. a lot easier to blame the person you're stepping over on the sidewalk than it does to look at what these structural issues look like and to face the reality that it really could be any one of us at any time. I mean, I don't know a lot of people in my life myself included who really could take a major financial hit. It's like if the hit is big enough, any of us can be where our folks are. And for a lot of our folks, they'll say they'll say I never thought that I would be here. You know, I own my own business. I have two master's degrees. I You know, these are real stories of people that have wound up in our shelter. You know, I lived in my house for 50 years and I'm 76 years old and now I'm on the doorstep of the shelter with no idea about what to do. Um, Um, You know, and, and I think that we end up, most communities that I have encountered on this topic end up delaying. Real solutions for so much longer than we need to because we cannot zoom out and try to look at the structural reasons why people are where they are. We focus so intensely on the individual and what they've done to be there, and that's Mm -hmm. where some of the stereotypes and some of the realities. I mean, I'm going to be real like of people who are using drugs or um, using alcohol. And what I have to say to that is that they are extremely effective coping mechanisms. My own experience with addiction was almost entirely because of the trauma that I experienced and my inability to manage my mental health in a way that made me functional. And when I would use and when I would drink, I felt functional. I felt like I could exist in the world. I felt like I had a break from my own brain. Mm. And would, like, should we really be focusing on the negative aspects of somebody's coping strategies when they're literally sleeping on a sidewalk? Right. Like,
0: Clearly, they need to cope and escape their reality in some way. And as human beings, we should recognize that sometimes we don't make the best choices when we are in that kind of immense pain. And that is universal. It doesn't matter our economic status. We all cope in some unhealthy ways sometimes when we're under intense stress.
1: Yeah. And, And I think that what we really work on with people is not taking away their coping strategies until we can replace them with better ones. Mm. So that's why we don't, we don't require that people are sober before they can access our programs. We don't um, require that they have to engage in treatment or mental health services in order to get their basic needs met. Um, We try to get their basic needs met immediately, regardless of their circumstances, because we know that they are going to be significantly more likely to make positive changes in their life if they have their basic needs met first.
0: Yes, that makes so much sense. And as far as on a day-to-day basis, when we do come in contact with people who are experiencing homelessness, what can we do? And I feel like that leads really well into your second takeaway for us.
1: Yes, so the second takeaway is do not repress the desire to be generous there's so much that we can do every day even in the face of these big structural challenges that we're up against what I mean by not repressing the desire to be generous is um, if you feel drawn to give give and give without strings attached um, mm-hmm. any you know any organization that you give to, Any other thing could do a hundred different things with the money that you give them. And I think there's an idea that if you give to some organization instead of an individual, somehow your money will be better used. And that might be true, especially if you have a relationship with that organization. But when someone's asking whatever they're asking for, if you feel drawn to give it to them, give it to them. And and that's all. You, You just did what you needed to do. And you don't have to have the burden of wondering what they're going to do with the money. You don't have to carry that burden. You can let that burden go. And if you don't feel like you want to give or you don't have cash or you can't for whatever reason, that is okay too. It is totally okay to say no. But you can say no and it's really nice to see you today.
0: Hmm. Yes, and you can look someone in the eye and acknowledge that their humanity and still say no without looking away or ignoring or running away from that person. Yeah. Yeah. And that that is a generous response even if you're not giving what they asked for.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: And I really like your this the wording here don't repress the desire to be generous because I think sometimes we feel that urge inside of us to help, but we squash it because we start overthinking and overcomplicating. And like you said, thinking, well, what if they use it for this or that, or I've heard this. And if you feel it, you can respond to the best that's within you Mm -hmm. and not worry about what happens after that because you're being true to who you want to be. And beyond that, we don't have much control over anything anyway.
1: I think the other thing with this is that you can Depending on the situation, you always want to trust your intuition, just like we all do as humans every day. But um, if somebody's asking for money, or if there's somebody who is on your block or like near your work that you see really regularly, to introduce yourself Mm. say, Yeah, and you can say your name first. You can say, Hi, you know, I'm Meg. I see you a lot here. What's your name? And And that can be the only thing that you say that day. And then you say, thanks, John. It's really good to see you today. I'll see you tomorrow or I'll see you next time. Um, And that just makes people feel seen and feel like they're worth something.
0: Yes, I think that's beautiful. And one thing that you've talked to me a little bit about that I've remembered and has an impact on me is um, applying your core values to every single person you meet um, from the Person who's on the street corner to the guy that you run into at the grocery store who has a full cart of food, you know. Um, can you elaborate a little bit on on that and how that could inform how we respond to people who are experiencing homelessness?
1: Yes, definitely. I think that in some ways it's be- it's become a societal norm. To selectively apply our core values um, in certain places and certain times and certain groups and whatever, and then not be able to apply those same core values um, to other groups that we might not feel a part of, or we might not understand, or we might be holding significant judgments about. And so like my example that I always give for this is, you know, because people say, well, yeah, Meg, I mean, but you do this work every day. So it's easy for you to, to have the empathy that you have or, or whatever. And so what I think about with this a lot is that I work with a lot of politicians. I work with a lot of, um, Property owners, business owners, people that are in um, positions of power and privilege in our community, and it can be very difficult for me at times to apply the core values that I apply with the folks that I work with every day to them, because mm-hmm. I say I say lots of judgmental things to myself, like, "Oh, well, you know, you have a warm bed to go home to at night, or you have this or that," and. Um, You could just pay for whatever you need to get out of this. And so, of course, you don't care or whatever. Um, And what I have found is that by applying my core values in every single interaction that I have, my core values to respect everyone, to meet people exactly where they're at, regardless of their circumstances, to um, always understand that I'm only dropping in on one chapter of someone's entire life and i don't know the context for why they might be where they're at and when i when i'm able to keep those things in mind with every person that i talk to regardless of circumstance um i'm so much happier i'm such a happier person i just feel like the world is a hopeful and livable place, even though there's so much suffering going on.
0: Yeah, I feel like that is so powerful because I know you've had extremely difficult, frustrating, infuriating, frankly, circumstances with politicians and business owners who it appears cannot see the simple humanity around them. And it's so tempting to just slam those people and say they're selfish, they're whatever, they're, but to have to step back and say, hey, if I want them to see the humanity of our guests at the shelter, I need to see their humanity as well and uh, give them compassion and understand that I don't have the full picture or the full story there either. And wow, that is powerful to be in alignment in all places and in the way we treat every person who comes into our life. That is Powerful when you can get to that point. And I'm sure you don't have that, that zen st- point, you know, point of view all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but know. it's helpful to strive
1: for it. It's nice to have a screaming pillow. Yes. <laughs> a pillow that you
0: can- or, or a Facebook post. I've seen a few uh, enraged Facebook posts from you <laughs> on this topic, I will say.
1: I try to keep those friends only and not, not public, but yeah. Yes. <laughs> Well, so and thing. and I
0: think it's totally fine to have to work yourself down from stuff to like to feel those emotions and then be like, OK, that's not who I want to be. And I'm going to work myself down from it, you know, and or to feel those negative judgments to the person you see on the street or whoever it might be. And then say, OK, stay, take a step back. Who do I want to be and align better with who you want to be and how you're treating other people?
1: Yeah, definitely. There'll be times at the shelter where somebody will be. You know, we, we sometimes we joke that every group of people, whoever you are, there's a, about a 10% jerk quotient, you know, like 10% of teachers are probably kind of jerks, 10% of social workers kind of jerks, like, ten, you know, and it's like 10% of homeless people are sometimes kind of jerks. <laughs> yes. It's just like it is with anybody else. And so it can be difficult sometimes because you're like, oh man, this person is just really being a jerk right now or... Or maybe they are, you know, yelling obscenities or something like that on the street that can feel – you're like, it's just feels like rude right now. And I think what is really important to remember in that moment is like how angry would I be if I literally laid my head down on a sidewalk every night mm-hmm. and didn't yeah. necessarily know – where my next meal was coming from and was dealing with maybe significant mental illness where I wasn't really sure what was reality or not reality or serious depression and feelings of worthlessness. It's like I would be angry too. So it helps me to maintain my empathy in those moments when I try to put myself in that position. Um, And that just builds – your capacity for generosity and for empathy. One point that is really important is that um, by not repressing the desire to be generous, I'm—I don't mean anything goes, or you know, it's a free for all, or you have to feel like you, you know, give to every single person that you see on the street, or or anything like that. Um, which leads me into my my third takeaway, which is it's okay to have boundaries. Mm. Um, I would say it's very, very important to have boundaries. And that's true about all of us in our own lives, no matter who we're interacting with um, in our families and the groups we're a part of, all of those things is you have to be able to have boundaries, um, and to be able to know how to express those boundaries in a way that other people can hear and understand. And in a way that, that doesn't isolate other people even further, then you can practice expressing those boundaries verbally, saying them out loud, um, trying them out with somebody who you trust. Like I will sometimes have folks, uh, role play what they would say to somebody asking them for money on the street when they walk by when they're trying to learn a new way to communicate that. So this is where we move into um kind of more of like what 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 do the different options look like to help and and why you need to know your boundaries is because maybe for example one boundary is I don't want to I'm not I'm not ever going to feel comfortable giving money. So I'm not going to give money, but what I could feel comfortable doing is having hand warmers in my bag during mm. the winter. Um, that to me would feel fine. And probably, and here's a pro tip for everybody hand warmers are like gold on the streets, especially in the winter. But so even if somebody's asking for money or they might be asking for food or whatever it might be, um, you can say, you know, I can't do that today, but I do have hand warmers. Do you want that? And then they have the autonomy to say yes or no. And if they mm-hmm. say no, that's okay. You set your boundary and they're setting their boundary. And you don't have to carry the burden of judgment about why they might have said no to that. Maybe they already were given a hand warmer earlier in the night. You know, again, it's like you don't, you don't have to carry that burden. Um, but unless you know what your boundaries are and what feels comfortable to you, then you can't necessarily like make those those game plans or take those action steps. Yeah. And that would be, again, the same as, you know, maybe there's one organization that you really feel connected to the mission of and there's an other organizations that you don't. And so you want to focus your time on that organization that you really feel connected to the mission to. Um, maybe it's volunteering in person. For some people, that's really not going to work for them. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's that to me is sort of where the application of the boundaries can can really turn into an action step.
0: Yes. And I love that example of hand warmers um, and having those handy. I have a friend recently who said she went to New York City. We live in a really small town in Idaho. And honestly, there is homelessness here, I'm sure. But you don't see it. Um, It's not as visible as in big cities and so for her to go to New York City and to see so much of it was really hard on her heart and she wanted to do something but she didn't know what and she said that she just got a whole bunch of like Walgreens gift cards Mm -hmm. and um, that felt comfortable to her to give that and um, that's what she did you know and I'm like good for you for making a plan that felt comfortable and following your gut and your heart and doing something instead of just walking away and letting that desire to be generous go ignored, you know?
1: Yeah. And what's really cool about that is that it still gives the person autonomy to decide how they use use it and what they need. And then the other thing that's really good about that is that um, it gives them the opportunity to go inside a Walgreens For as long as they're shopping, which is warm and might Mm -hmm. have a bathroom and then they can be a paying customer and use the bathroom. Um, So there's there's an additional layer of gift that she gave um, Mm -hmm. with that, that that maybe most people wouldn't really think about.
0: Yeah. And while we're on this topic, could you give us some ideas for concrete things we can do, especially this holiday season, if people are feeling pulled that they want to help in some way, what What could they do both for people that they may see on the street, as well as for like their local services for people who are experiencing homelessness?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, there's so many ways to to plug in. And I really just encourage everybody to know that no matter where you are in your journey with this, there's some way that you can um, support. And no matter where you are financially, there's also some way that you can support. Um, And so I would say starting with doing a little bit of research about what organizations are working with folks who are homeless in your communities. So you can just do a simple Google search of like, you know shelters near me or anything like that um, to start to learn and and oftentimes they'll have you know websites that have wish lists on them. Another really good thing to do is just clean out your closets. Um, mm-hmm. I know most folks have a coat that they haven't worn in two years. They've got a blanket that's been you know in the drawer forever <laughs> and isn't getting used. Um. Shelters often will be able to take different sheet sets like we take twin size sheet sets um, and socks and gloves and all the extra things that you might have laying around that you might even take to Goodwill or something like that. Consider bringing it directly to somebody on the street or mm-hmm. directly to an organization that is, you know, sheltering people every single night. Um, other opportunities that are really cool is like high school groups or church groups or offices putting together like winter kits. So a pair of nice wool socks, a pair of gloves, hand warmer in a Ziploc bag. And Ziploc bags are part of the gift because um, particularly where we live, it's really rainy. And so people's um, – Vital documents get completely ruined all the time. So mm-hmm. having their ability to put their wallet or their ID or whatever in a Ziploc bag um, really greatly increases the, the chance of them keeping it for longer.
0: Wow. And see, that is so something I would never think of. And when you say it, I'm like, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is so valuable to hear from somebody that is with people experiencing homelessness and knows what they need.
1: Yeah. And like sewing kits. Are a huge deal because people can't afford to fix or to get new clothes when they break, or to fix their sh- or to get new shoes, or to, you know, get new socks, or whatever it might be. And so they are super crafty <laughs> and really resourceful. And sewing kits are a big deal. Batteries are a really big deal because a lot of people are um, using flashlights for light. And I would say too, like if you do find an organization, just giving them a call and asking them similarly to what you would do on the street, ask them for what they need and then give them that rather mm-hmm. than, you know, getting kind of this idea in your head of what, what you might think they need. Um, ask them what it is that they need. We just had an elementary school that gave us um, like 1500 pairs of socks because they just focused it all on on socks. And, um, and then it's really cool because then I can like you know get invited into their classroom to talk to them about why they're why they're donating socks and what the socks are going to go for and um, get us kind of back to that number one takeaway of mm-hmm. of education and um, so there's just there's so many ways.
0: Yes. Oh, those are so many beautiful ideas. And I know the moms listening. This is a really responsive community, the 3 and 30 community. And I know they will do, they will act after they listen, which I love. So Meg, I just want to thank you so much for coming on and giving us so much to think about so that we can act on it and be more compassionate neighbors and human beings to everyone around us. And before we end, could you tell us your three takeaways one more time? time.
1: Yes. Number 1, learn about the reasons why people end up experiencing homelessness. Number 2, do not repress the desire to be generous. And number 3, it's okay to have boundaries.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's been such an honor and I know your presentation is going to give us a lot more to think about during this holiday season. So I really appreciate you spending some time with us today.
1: Thank you, Rachel. It's been really, really good.
0: Many thanks to my dear friend, Meg, for coming on the show to teach us about homelessness. And if you take action after listening to this episode and do something to help people experiencing homelessness in your community, please reach out to me via email and let me know so I can cheer you on. I'm so grateful for this incredibly responsive, compassionate community of women. I also wanted to add that if you are looking for an incredible organization to donate to, Meg's organization called Interfaith Works is currently raising funds for a new facility that will offer supportive housing designed to build independent living skills and to connect people with community-based healthcare, treatment and employment services. I did not tell her that I was going to include a call out for this within the episode, but I know that I'm definitely going to donate to this very worthy project, and I thought that you might appreciate being made aware of the opportunity to contribute as well. I'll put the link in the show notes and in my weekly email if you are looking for a great cause to get behind this holiday season. My friends, I love you. I hope you have an incredibly peaceful and present holiday season. And if that is not looking very possible for you at the moment, I hope that you'll take a step back and evaluate what you can do to create space and self-care in your life and seek the support that you need to thrive. We can do this together. You'll hear from me again on Monday, January 6th. I can't wait. And until then, I hope you have a beautiful month of December with your family.